Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Elizabeth Barnett-Lawton, and I'll be interviewing some of the industry's most inspiring talent for the British Beauty Council's Career Insights podcast series. Looking back on the last two decades of my own career as a magazine journalist and a university lecturer, it was having the opportunity to interview thought leaders, celebrities and entrepreneurs that has been one of the greatest highlights. I'm just as fascinated today in speaking to the great minds and personalities behind industry figures as I was reading about them as a student. Hearing someone's story, a shared experience from someone who's made it in their chosen field, can provide much needed inspiration for anyone seeking a path to a fulfilling career. This is why the British Beauty Council are providing special access into the careers of inspirational beauty industry leaders exclusively for our members. So whether you're a student or perhaps you're thinking of a career change, we think our Career Insights podcast series featuring some of the UK's best talent could be the vital boost to your dreams and motivation. For me, and I hope for you too, the podcast series is a fascinating insight into the lives of some of Britain's biggest beauty success stories. Welcome to the show. Lan Nagayan is an award-winning makeup artist whose work has featured in magazines including Vogue Russia, Grazia, Elle, Vanity Fair, Stylist and Stella. Born in Ireland to Vietnamese parents, Lan draws on her creative background. She studied fashion design at Central St. Martins and her passion for colour. Lan has published three books, including Art and Makeup, which focuses on art as inspiration and references artists such as Picasso and Warhol, and Pro Makeup Design Book, which is filled with fantastic makeup looks and techniques, plus 30 makeup charts to get you designing your own looks. Lan appeared in the popular TV programmes, BBC's Glow Up and Britain's Next Makeup Star, and has also released a makeup palette in collaboration with Revolution Beauty London, and I can't wait to speak to her today. So hello, Lan. It's so lovely Hi. to meet you. Thank you so much for, for taking part in, in the podcast for, um, for the British Beauty Council. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, so Lan, you, you studied fashion at Central St. Martins, but what inspired you to, to then pursue uh, a career as a makeup artist in the beginning? Um, you know, I didn't actually pursue a career at first because when I was in St. Martin's doing fashion, it was on my third year and I had an accident. Not me, but particularly my um, ceiling came down, destroyed my work on the day before it had to be submitted. So I take that as a as a sign of faith that um, it wasn't meant to be. And the funny is, yeah. is I went on holiday um, the day after, you know, it's that sort of moment where you know you think you're going to go into school and tell the teacher like the dog's eating my homework I just yeah. couldn't bear the thought of going into back into college and say um you know the ceiling destroyed my uh, my work and I can't hand it in so I panicked and I went on holiday for two weeks and then I came back and my mom had moved house everything was cleared out and I started a new life and um yeah and I I, I jumped into a PR job which then led me to work at a photographic studio um, as a coffee girl. And that's when I was first exposed to the whole world of makeup and photography. Um, and there wow. I was. I know <laughs> people always laugh at the story because it, it's just unbelievable how it started. But um, for me, I always look back and think it was a very good introduction into um, what I do now. But in terms of at that moment in time when I was, being a coffee girl, I was there amongst the photographers, the stylists, the customers, the salespeople. 
And my job was just to make people feel comfortable. And without realizing, I was exposed to, you know, the makeovers. And it was just one day they were short staffed and they said, you look like someone who could do makeup since you've got an art background. Here's some brushes, jump in. And that was, I haven't stopped since. That was 18 years ago. So that was your very first shoot? Um, first experience of doing makeup on anybody. Yeah. Apart from myself. Yeah. I was just thrown straight into deep end at work. Yeah. So, and, um, and did you, what makeup did you use? Did you just have some personal makeup in a bag no. or something? So we were in a photography studio where you'd go and get your portraits done. So people wanted to be superstars or family portraits or wedding portraits, whatever the brief was. And there was makeup kits provided. So I remember clearly what I had was um, three, no, one, two, three, six foundations. And they were film foundations. Okay. They were like these big, massive pan sticks that you used to use um, for film TV. You had sponges. Thick. Yes. Thick. You had uh, disposable sponges and you had um, about maybe a collection of eight eyeshadows, um, maybe six lipsticks. And that was it. And a big pot of um, it's like almost like talcum powder for the face. And that was that was it. That was a kit. So, um, yeah, I remember my first experience, actually. The customer sat in my chair and uh, she was middle aged and she wanted to young, look young and fresh. So um, I sort of took about 10 minutes asking her questions because I didn't know what I was doing. But I took a deep breath and I decided, right, OK, if I had her face, what would I do? And that was the way forward so um she wanted like big eyes certain kind of lips and blah 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 and I did it and I did 10 clients that day um and it worked out really well so when I turned up the next morning um people were requesting me so the photographer was requesting that could I be on the same floor the sales people were asking whoever did that makeup for those clients can we make sure she's on the same floor um and it, it was nice to feel wanted and that I did a good job because the customers I actually did came out and they bought all their pictures so you know it was one of these things where they loved what I did on them they felt comfortable and they bought all their pictures so that meant like everybody got their profits and you know happy customer so and that's um that's what happened yeah and I carried on for quite a long time actually um I did it for a solid three months I met a photographer there who was actually assisting a big catwalk photographer at the time. And I met him in a lift and he was coming to visit the photographer I was on set with. So the timing was amazing because he said, what do you do here? And I said, oh, sometimes I'm a coffee girl, but sometimes I do makeup. He goes, oh, I need a makeup artist for a shoot. Can you can you come? And I said, yeah, no problem. So the following week, went to his studio and did the makeup he had prepared a whole kit funny enough he had loads of um kit there already and I just brought the brushes that I had and it was a um it was a high clientele so she was a princess from I think Pakistan or somewhere and she was having her portrait done and he's a big news photographer um he used to be one of the royal family photographers before Princess Daya passed away and I didn't know who he was, but I just did the job. And he came up to me and said, I love how you handled her. I loved what you did. Um, she's quite a difficult person. So I'm surprised she let you do, you know, all the makeup and everything. And um, are you free next week? And I said, what for? And he goes, uh, just come to Paris just to help me. I said, okay. 
So I told the guys at the studios I wasn't coming in all next week because I'd be in Paris. And I ended up at Couture Fashion Week assisting him backstage right in the middle of all those shows. <laughs> so my first show, if you can imagine, I've got no experience. I've never, I don't know nothing about fashion in that world. And I was in the middle of um, Dior Fashion Week, um, uh, their show backstage, you know, John Galliano, Pat McGrath, you know, all the big players that I didn't know who they were at the time, all working away. And with all the supermodels, I was exposed to absolutely everybody at that time. Amazing. This was into just in 2000. So it was the time of the supermodels. So people like Naomi Campbell, you know, Eva Hertzgover, Rue Carla, Natalia Vadanova was a newbie. Kate Moss was just coming in. So I was amongst all these um, millennials. Yeah. <laughs> How amazing. I mean, that is like the, the most incredible story, actually, is serendipitous, the whole ceiling falling in. And then yeah. and then you found your flow. It just happened. It just happened. Um, yeah. But I think talent does shine. So obviously it was recognised almost straight away. And then you had this sort of situation where you're catapulted in, in, into working at Fashion Week in, in, in Paris. There's so many aspiring makeup artists work for years thinking, how can I get yeah. to <laughs> week in, in Paris? And, and, and you did it almost uh, straight away. I don't know what the time scale of that was, but it sounds pretty quick, like the fast track. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. But I think it sounds to me that you were already quite an accomplished um, artist. I mean, you got into Central St. Martins and in those days, you know, actually it was quite difficult to get in. Um, so how important would you say is the practice of uh, the skill of drawing, practicing drawing um, to developing yeah, makeup artistry skills? That's a very good question um, because I've been doing art since I was seven and it was just something that I naturally did anyway. I had a, I loved color. I loved painting. My mom would find me in the middle of the night with a candle. I'd be painting all the walls, the doors, my wardrobes, um, doing <laughs> portraits of my friends and anything I thought of, I used to just find anything to paint on. So when I think about my days, I did a foundation course um, at Middlesex University because I didn't know where I wanted to be in the art world. And at school, you know, they, they push you to do your, um, you know, your projects and your art projects, but it's not, um, it's not geared to, I suppose, in terms of a career. So I never knew what sort of career I could go into. So by doing a foundation course, I was able to find a little bit more information of the different arenas I could be part of. So I did, you know, photography, um, textile design, um, fine art, um, advertising. And that was where I thought I'd be. I thought I was going to be actually poster making and um color printing you know but they actually told me i was very good at textiles so i should go into menswear um well, color and texture similar with makeup isn't it textile yeah and, and uh, they you know and they said i should go into menswear and i didn't like the sound of that so i said there had to be another way so you know when i was doing all these practices in terms of painting um by pushing myself in the colors um really forced myself to deal with you know pastels and watercolors and things that I wasn't very good at I sort of tried to master all those areas so I spent like even just to do a straight line you know if I couldn't do a straight line with my eyes closed I'd get like an A1 piece of paper and I would just keep going up and down up and down all day all along for weeks and weeks until I could do a straight line with my eyes closed and I realized when I do an eyeliner 
I work in the same way. So if not, if I'm not good at doing a certain eyeliner or if I have to do symmetrical or lines on the face in, you know, for a show, for example, I don't breathe, but I take a deep breath and I do it in the same way. I keep drawing these lines and practice these lines until I can do it, you know, because the face is a different canvas, right? So it's, it's yeah. 3D. It's I think it sounds like that is the key that that sounds like yeah. that has been the key to your success, the training and the dedication and the practice. Yeah. Um, and, and I completely agree that, you know, I did a foundation, an, an art foundation as well. And I, and I would say to any young people that don't know, they know they want to do something creative, but you're not quite sure what. It's the best thing, isn't it? To be able to try all the different areas. And, and, and having seen students on, on makeup degrees working, I always notice that the ones that have done the, the, the foundation course seem yeah. to be that a step ahead. It's the creative thinking outside of the medium that you can then bring to it uh, in a way. And so, yes, it's really interesting that you did that. And that's clearly what gave you the, a, a bit of a head start. Yeah. Um, I think it takes the fear element, you know, of thinking outside the box by doing that because you're forced to actually go outside of that box, you know, and work with those mediums that you wouldn't generally think you can work with. Yes, uh, yes. You're just understanding, you know, the, the positives and, Obviously, if you know that you're not good at something, you keep practicing and you've got that time to practice. Whereas if you step into the makeup arena and try to do that, you could lose your job. You know, there's no time to practice on that job. Yes. So, yeah. You're very good that you that you forced yourself to do the things you weren't good at. Uh, having observed people on foundation courses, they sometimes fall into two camps. They're either sort of strong in 2D or 3D, you know, the ones that are really great at sculpture, whatever. But the thing with makeup is that you're designing often on, on, a, on a makeup chart, which is 2D, yeah. but then you're having to apply it on 3D. So yeah. in a way, your brain has to be able to work with both. Yeah, and I think the successes, you know, of my job, you know, why I've sustained such a long career is that um, I break it down like exactly how you say in different layers. And a lot of makeup artists, if you see them in action, they do a lot of layering, you know, but to the eye, you don't know what they're doing, but actually on a technical level, they're doing all these different things that like preparation of the skin to building up to the skin to actually creating like a flat surface before they actually build on like reconstructing the face. So there's all these elements, you know, of contouring, you know, like I think on a consumer level, people will look at contouring of like, oh, just do the cheekbones, do the nose. And, you know, it's there's this whole um, trend, isn't there? Of yeah, darkening uh, all the, the illusory things. aspect. Yeah. But like the optical kind of illusion, that's what contouring yeah. is about, isn't it? Yeah. But if you look at the, you know, the technical and the artistry of those that have been in it for a long time, when you watch them work, they're actually breaking it down even before they've actually applied makeup, you know, like in a skincare element, you know, as well. So there's so yeah. many different levels, but having that training at school in order to, to break that down those boundaries um, is very um, effective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what advice would you give to a makeup student now in terms of developing skills and, 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 and what to put in their portfolio? Because often the training that you need to, 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 and, to hone your skills might not necessarily lead to pictures for your portfolio they can be different can't they yeah I mean when I think about my first portfolio um on an art side I had loads of different mediums and different expressions of like mood boards and concepts and I think it really does lend itself for you to be a designer and to stand out of the crowd if you've already got a, 
a book or some sort of sketch pad with all your different ideas of genres or things that you like, things that inspires you um, and smud charts. So for me, if I was working on a design aspect, I would design on my face just to play with textures. Then I'd go back and do it on a smud chart because it, then it brings you back to a blank canvas. And when you're sketching and drawing on a blank uh, face chart, because it's flat, you have to think in 3D. So you're constantly problem solving as you're going along with the face. You know, you're sketching and you're like, oh, I need to shade in maybe another shade there to make it look a bit more colorful or make it stand out more. So when you go through this whole process of sketching and layering and designing, by the time you actually get to the real face, um, you've gone through all those problem solving. So it makes it a little bit easier to create that image. So once you've got all that in, in line, um, I think you do your test shoots, you know, you have to do all that work before you even get to test shoot. You can't just turn up with a photographer to build your portfolio and just do all these random ideas with no substance behind it and no storytelling because like a painting, um, people react with a feeling and it's like, we don't know why we like an image. It may be because we're attracted to the model. It could be because of the colors. It could be the background. You know, there's all these different elements. And as a makeup artist, you have to think about the whole picture because you're almost like a creative director. Even though you're working with a big team to create this image, as a makeup artist, your, your sole thing is to try and project that storytelling through the face. No amount of retouching, you know, can sort of, change that storytelling it all comes from the makeup artist and um, I think your portfolio has to stand out in that way to show that you know not only can you do like a red lip or a black eye or something really colorful because a lot of portfolios I'm seeing now are so creative it's like but why you know if you can't see a story or you can't feel it straight away and it feels a bit off it generally is because of that we always have an instinct of whether something's good or not and I think um as a makeup artist, I think when you're starting out, you have to ask all these questions if you really want to get ahead over someone else. And then there's what you're talking about with the idea of being a creative director and there's the difference between being a makeup practitioner and, and a makeup designer. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to do the pretty beautifying sort of makeup, but also to be able to, to design a look that tells the story and the narrative of what it is you're trying to, to communicate. Yeah, that's right. Um, because if when you're doing just the simpler thing of just trying to collaborate with a photographer just to get an image for your portfolio, you know, remember the people that are around you that you're working with will be on the same sort of level in your circle, your peers. So they're not going to be able to mind read your makeup look, you know. Um, you, you have to get used to being able to come up with concepts before even just doing someone's pretty because even if you're doing a consultation with a client you know they will ask you so many questions and you need to be prepared with loads of ideas so it's so important to navigate through that process before you know and just put yourself yeah. in the shoes of um of the client that's that's what's helped me anyway that's um I 100% um believe by taking those steps into um being like a creative director and taking all those roles um, you're just problem solving a lot of questions in advance, you know, so you can concentrate on just doing the fun stuff, which is the makeup. Yeah. And, and you talk, you talk about collaboration and obviously that, that that's a really key aspect of being 
in this industry. And in fact, I noticed in your um, in your book, Pro Makeup, that there, there are a lot of Simon Songhurst pictures. And it's mm. funny because I used to work with him a lot too. He was one of my, my main um, photographers for beauty. And uh, we, we grew up in the industry together, I think, because when I was a, a junior beauty editor, he was a young photographer. And it's that, and we sort of then kept working together and grew in a way together. So how did you find your first collaborators? Because that's a, that's a key sort of point in the development of a, of a, a young makeup artist, isn't it? Yeah, um, I ended up, um, started looking for photographers and stylists um, when I realized that in order to get what I needed for my book, I had to curate my own team because when I was collaborating with people who knew I was a makeup artist and I was just doing the shoots and editorials, it was nice imagery, but it wasn't doing anything specific. It wasn't really selling me or what I could do. So what I started to do was to reach out to um, photographers that were studying photography. So, you know, obviously I wasn't going to reach out to the top photographers because <laughs> when you're emailing them, you're not going to get an answer. <laughs> you know, I did try. Um, why not? Why not? <laughs> why not? Why not? For, for me. Was it because you were working on a book and it's different? Um, no, like when I started to differentiate between just doing makeup for whether it was weddings or editorials or shows, and I wanted to actually start designing um, as a beauty makeup artist. So a beauty makeup artist is completely different to a normal makeup artist. You know, it's very specific to selling a product, branding, storytelling. It's very, you know, um, for any students that are listening, look at the difference in a magazine between a ed fashion editorial and a beauty section of the magazine. You know, there's two completely different identities of makeup and the beauty makeup is very highly skilled in terms of um, that whole storytelling, they're precise of makeup, being able to show a story with, if it's just a lipstick or if it's just an eye look or if it's a trend look, you know, it's completely different. And in order for me to break that area, in order to have more power into creating stories on a beauty level, I had to find photographers who knew to capture um, the face and portraits and the feeling of um, the makeup. You know, it wasn't just like a snapshot from far away and then a, a case of cropping in. That was not a beauty shot. You know, a beauty shot had to be seen like, okay, we can see the details. It's macro beauty. You know, it's seeing details of the actual texture of the skin and the makeup. So I had to find new, new talent. And even though I was doing it longer than some of the photographers, what I found was by collaborating with young, new, fresh eye photographers, their lighting was you know, clean, they could do what I asked them to do, they were able to capture what I needed, you know, and then from working with the book, you know, I, I basically just sort of went around to all my photographers that were in those areas. So I wouldn't get somebody in fashion to shoot beauty, because they used no. equipment. So um, I had to, you know, use people that had an attitude that were willing to work with lighting and to be able to you know, understand the face and just, you know, not shoot up the nose and <laughs> yeah, you know. nostril shots are not good. <laughs> no, um, some are, it depends if they've got a good <laughs> nose. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like angles and um, models, um, face shapes, you know, it's so important to find the people with yeah. the right eye rather than, like I said, I think when a lot of students are starting out, when they collaborate, 
the photographers that they work with may not be beauty orientated. So they could end up with like quite wide shots and fashion shots, which is yeah. great, but it doesn't show their skills in. in no, I totally agree because I think technically fashion and beauty photography is quite far apart. There are a few that do both, but I think beauty photography, the technical lighting is so much more precise because you're not lighting a scene, you're lighting the face. And in that sense, it's closer strangely enough to still life photography than it yeah. is to fashion photography. So that's yeah. a key thing perhaps for students to look out for and learn if you're, if you're photographing your own works, that sort of precise lighting and, and even to practice on still life. Yeah, and, and also like to shoot what you see as well. I think you have to train your eye to not only, because um, in fashion, obviously as a makeup artist, your role is to not take over the shoot. You know, the makeup has to lend itself to the fashion to the imagery of the whole so sometimes it's always fairly natural because it's about the model and the clothes and then the hair can take um presence you know it could be a bit more stronger or sometimes you know it could just be an eye and that works really well for the whole shoot but in beauty you know you're ch often changing the look into like for example you probably have an average beauty shoot would have maybe five shots and with five shots you have four different makeup looks and remember, those four makeup looks have changes. So, you know, sometimes you have to be clever because if you're going to be taking makeup on and off, you know, you have to take this into consideration of the model's skin. And if the model doesn't have the right skin, it's almost re really difficult to get the perfect beauty shots. Yeah. Because you're going to have to spend time correcting the face or getting rid of the blemishes and you know you don't want to rely on retouching as a makeup artist especially if you're doing beauty you know the photographers rely on you to understand that you know how to work with light you know how to deflect you know pigmentation levels of makeup so it's that's why it's such a difficult area in beauty you don't want to have to take time wise if you're doing four or five shots in a day you can't afford to take off the whole thing it's about yeah. building isn't it that's right. Yeah. Building the layers. Yeah. So lockdown has been just really awful for, for students who are not able to work on each other in the way that they would normally. Um, so have you got any advice for them to continue to hone their skills, um, perhaps uh, using face charts? I know you've got 30 face charts with the Pro Makeup Design book, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, I think um, I think obviously research is is obviously the number one key and then break it down into what you don't know more about. So maybe you might want to venture into understanding more special effects, you know, more period, more storytelling film, but practicing, you pretty much practice on yourself, um, play with the products. I mean, my thing is always about the development and textures of the products, you know, understanding like the different foundation and layering, um, playing with colors, you know, painting. Obviously the smudge charts will help, but I think, there's no point just drawing ideas for the sake of it. I think it's try and um, because it takes time to research and build stories. I think what will help, especially with the mental state as well, is to give yourself projects. You know, it's very, very simple to do. Just come out with different stories. Um, just look at different artists, you know, that are out there. Look at the imagery and just get inspired. You know, you don't have to copy, but come up with your own concept come up with your own mood boards and then think about what looks you would do on a beauty scale or a fashion scale and I think you know that takes up a lot of time anyway so when you start breaking it down it's just getting that motivation just to start 
Mm. And when you start storytelling and getting the um, information in, um, your mind will just move 100 miles an hour into all these different arenas. And the, I think the skill is to try and focus on an area, you know, like, for example, if you gave yourself um, a theme, like, say, a color theme, maybe one day you can just do reds, next day oranges, then pinks, and then yellows, and grayscale, and really um, use that sort of time to um, come up with ideas that are different. And then, you know, when we come out of lockdown and start shooting, you know, pitch them because people are, are dying for new creative um, ideas. So I think, yeah, just reach out to not only stylists, photographers, but also hairstylists, nail technicians, um, beauty editors, you know, everybody's open to collaborate right now. So I think if you can come ready with a concept um, and story, um, you're more likely to be able to act on it and, and create some work for yourself. Such good advice. Um, and we have the advantage now, of course, of being able to DM people on Instagram. Yeah. So I guess it's a great way to find people to collaborate with and then perhaps pitch your concepts. Yeah, I mean, if you anyone that I've spoken to, um, a lot of people are open to, to hear concept and pitch. So um, across the board, everywhere, globally, you can pitch to the Asian market, the American market, um, Europe. You know, there's loads of magazines out there, loads of photographers that are going to be traveling a lot yeah so there's there's lots of ways you just have to be really creative and use this time now to build those relationships because people are around and they do have time to listen yeah prepare and be ready to go when things lift and uh, your palette that you designed for for revolution it is really gorgeous uh, and amazing and I have just bought it I was when I was doing my research I saw it and I bought it and I can't wait to use it and it's got quite a bright color, you know, for your kind of, you, you put your name on it and it's your palette for revolution. And, and it is a bright mix of colors, but presumably it's great for creative studio looks. But would you have any tips for using it in a more natural way? Perhaps say you were working on an actress for a Vogue portrait or something like that, a sitting uh, shoot. Could you use that palette in a more natural way as well? Yeah, of course. Um, the funny thing is with that palette, it touches on a lot of, problem solving for one um you know we can't travel with liquids so that was my one thing is that you can travel with this palette and it's got <laughs> everything in it so if you break it down you've got the face product so you've got a powder mineralized powder you've got contour powder you have a bronzer and when I designed this palette I actually designed it on dark skin you know black skin because I wanted to, to reach the whole spectrum that it could be used for anybody so all those colors actually work for like someone who's really pale to someone who's really dark in different ways and in the middle yeah and the middle yeah and you know like I have a lot of celebrities tell me they use it every day and they use those contour powders as eyeshadows so they're all your neutral colors right there that you can use so everything is multi-purpose then you've got the cheeks and those cheeks also can be used like for eyes lips whatever you like as well but the colors that I've chosen are colors that give you a modern fresh um, touch and the secret of that palette is that the colors I've chosen are ones that I go back and use time and time again throughout my whole career so I've curated it so it's based on um, my needs for not only natural but also for creativity so if you think about those blushes and things you can utilize them to be just a wash of color on your cheeks on your eyes and lips because the pigments are not 
they're hand pressed and they sort of just disappear you know they're very soft but they glide on beautifully the colors that you've got that are bright it was to encourage people that are, are scared of using color so you could just use a wash of the baby blue or just the gold or the silver just even use it with your fingers and just put a wash on because the colors are pure the way i've designed them you're not going to be faced by them you know because they're not in between colors they're not an ugly tone they're not like an off tone so they're pure colors in the spectrum so with your eye you'll always be attracted to it so even if you use like a fun blue and you made it into a little eyeliner or something it still looks quite good because you're not jarred by the color it doesn't feel too much because it's a pretty color and it allows you to layer the colors on as well so you could just do a wash and then you feel more confident you'll make it darker and then you'll make it darker and then you'll add a black liner to it and then you make it darker before you know it you've got like a really strong lovely cobalt blue smoky eye or something going on you know but it's to encourage people to actually just try a color really embrace it and then get more adventurous as they go along once they get more confident with the palette and then you've got your um, your lip stains so your lip stains you know again they can be built up but again they work across the board if you wanted to add a really like a strong lip like i've got a velvety lip on now by using your red lip stain and then just using the pigment of the red and layer it on top you end up with a very long lasting pigmented bright Whoa, velvety lip mm-hmm. yeah. so from the palette use the lip stains which look sheer in the pan mm-hmm. with the red pigment and then you get a str- a rich opaque lip yeah. color yeah so yeah. clever you could use red you could use the pink you can orange and it's like you can make neon colors out of it um you know you can put highlights on your bow with the the white is very important because it's a pure white so again it's used for highlighting under your brows cheekbones inner icon you know there's so many things you can do with that palette and I, I made it so it's versatile for somebody again for everyday use but then who wants to experiment you know and try different colors and then for people then on set who just need to do a touch-up or something you know they've got everything in that palette you know whether it's a lip or a bright color or just the mineralized powder that goes all over the face you know you can use it all over your body contour as well so it's like me in a palette can't wait basically. to try it <laughs> you in a palette yeah it's like me in a palette really yeah well it's 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 not the neutrals palette but I guess I'll, I'll have to play with it when, when, it, when it arrives that you can, uh, it could be that you use a green, even if I'm, I'm older, so I'm 46, mm-hmm. but there's nothing to say that I can't use a bright green or a, or a purple on the eye. No, because if you just tried it with a wash on or even just as a, like a little eyeliner, it will work because it will complement you because the color is not like an off green or it's a, not a dark green, it's a pure green. So it will either brighten you up or give you a lovely smoldering look. It's just down to you to add it into your own makeup routine. You know, like if you like love like a, an eyeliner or something, you know, you can do something fun with that. You can do a little graphic line or you can just do smudge near the lash line. It doesn't matter. Um, it works. And then if you just want to use the natural tones, you just use the powders, the bronzing colors. And there's a pure brown in there as well. And that can just be the used contour. all over. Yeah, the contour can use all around the eyes. And also the lips, you know, the lips, you can use them as cheek colors as well and washes on the eyes. So you've got the cream. Think of a cream shadow, you know, yeah. uh, you can use any of those as well around the eyes. Very clever to, to design it that way. I wonder if you're ever going to do your own line. There's a few things that I'd like to do. But, you know, in this moment in time, 
with the pandemic sustainability you know if I'm going to do something it has to be 100% biogradable like I don't want to be able I don't want to introduce anything that's going to add extra waste to to the world you know I have to be quite conscious of if I produce something it has to really be um valuable to everybody yeah like this palette you know it was an opportunity to help people and it's affordable but also it's to encourage you know the young kids at school if they're using their um, my book you know the smudge charts they they can use the makeup inside of this palette to go alongside their book to test out colors and it's it doesn't cost a fortune and it's quality the colors are there so if you mix up the colors you'll always get another lovely color you know you're not gonna get an ugly color you know because there's no off tones you just add a white or a black you know you can brown or whatever it will still melt away into a lovely color so you experiment you end up creating your own off tones for yourself suit you yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna play with them with with the book as well I think that's gonna be so much fun so apart from the the fantastic palette and your three books what achievement are you most proud of what what's sort of a key highlight of your makeup career would you say the ones that really surprised me was when I won an award I guess um it was with Cryland it was called the Golden Mask Award because I was the youngest ever to ever win this award and at first, I actually asked um, if I could give it back because I was just like, oh, no, there's too many other amazing people. I don't deserve this award. But they said, actually, it was um, a global decision from, you know, the board of all different countries that had submitted. And then it was based on a number system. So it's like you scored points on what you've contributed to the industry or um, your work and how much has affected people and what you've achieved in the space of time. So I was like, okay, if you put it like that, then that's great because- You do deserve it. You absolutely (laughs) deserve that. Because it it wasn't based on anybody knowing me personally. And that made me cry. I remember actually being in the, this massive um, tent where they had set up a whole it was like the BAFTAs you know it was just like amazing and I was standing there expecting to see loads of other makeup artists all in line and people winning different things and I didn't realize they had done this whole setup just for me to honor my work and I think you know I cried because it was like it wasn't about of who I knew or anything it was just because they based it on my work and my contribution and for me that just said a million things it just um made me realize that I'm still doing it. I don't have to be at the forefront. It doesn't have to be about me. It's actually about what I'm producing, which is touching people. And that's what really surprised me the most. And that's what I was grateful for, because there's always a meaning behind everything I do. And to get an award to recognize that amongst your peers on a global scale was phenomenal. And I think the other one was probably um, achieving my own first makeup show at London Fashion Week. Um, and to have so many people turn up and we had to turn so many people away um, we, the queue was around the block that was incredible because I didn't I had a eureka moment because when you're doing shows you're always working to someone else's brief you're always working to create a new trend my assistants were like how do you want the makeup to look I had 26 models and I had loads of different sponsors and loads of people involved and I remember being super stressed out and I walked, I was just going crazy. And I just walked out of the room and then I, I suddenly stopped and turned around and I just told everyone to stop working for one second. And I turned around to my assistants and I said, 
you know what? This is my show. You're not copying anybody. You have to, you have to copy me. It's my show. It's like you're producing me. So do exactly what you see and don't worry about it. Just copy what you see. It's all there for you. We're not stealing anything. It's like, it's my show. You have to do exactly what I've done. Because That's right. Show. And that really has stuck a chord with me because I was like, well, you know, when you create something, it's you, you're not, you don't need to worry about anybody else because you're not stealing from anybody. It's just your work, you know? You're, well, that's you're, the being a designer, isn't it? That's the moment yeah. where you're the designer and the others are the makeup artists that have to replicate your design. Yeah, that was like a, a really big moment for me. Which show was that? Um, art and makeup show. So I actually created a show to um, as a launch pad for my, my book, Art and Makeup. And it was because somebody had, uh, I tried to apply for a studio at the time and the council were like oh you're just a beautician you're not really an artist <gasps> so that's oh. I know oh. so I decided to um, and you know the book you know people would look at it and think oh it's retouched but I was like what's well, not retouched all of that was like pure pure work of everyone involved so there's a real element of Warhol in that book actually the colours and the strength of line, they're really interesting. I, I'm amazed that there, there's not retouching. Yeah, well, that was to um, show people the influences of some of the, the most famous artists in the world. So I was trying to um, create a different view of, um, of culture, I suppose, because my background of fine art and understanding the techniques that people like Rembrandt had or Picasso or Andy Warhol and their influences into pop culture and what they did and how they influenced um, all the different artists around them by looking at their techniques and trying to implement them into the makeup techniques you end up learning a lot more skills and I tried to step myself into their world and and that's how I that's why I created those looks that I did because I took their skills that if you read um, each artist that I did like Jackson Pollock for example his work was all about movement you know so then I ended up creating a whole collection of lip art you know that now is used for merchandise or I've sold prints you know um, and it's developed into this whole art side of contemporary art where the skills that I used like he did like everything movement like um, his paintings it was always constant flow of um, product so I did the exact same thing on a lip and I created overlaid loads of liquids and makeup on the lips. And I created this whole world of, of lip art, which took me on a whole different um, venture, you know, and that's what really excited me. So that book is all about just initiating um, ideas, really, just to get people started. Into And it's a fantastic book for anybody who wants to have a look. And such a clever idea to, to look at the work of artists and the techniques, because makeup mm. is art. It's not beautician, yeah. totally different thing. So my other question is really, how important is social media to, to, to being a makeup artist now? Because clearly the world is all about social media. Um, but it must be quite strange, you know, are you the expert or an influencer, a mixture of both? Is it essential for getting work, for example? Is it a must-have for a makeup artist for getting work? Or is it more of an opportunity sort of for, for growing an audience for when you perhaps you launch a, a product line or a book? Um, there's different views for that because, I mean, I started without social media and then I when before Facebook blew up, 
I started putting my work out there because I remember at the time where like if you didn't have any PR and nobody knew who you were, you're just a needle in a haystack. You know, nobody knows about your work, so you can't really get yourself out there. I started using social media to get myself out there so people could see my work because I wasn't getting all the editorials or I wasn't getting exposed. I didn't have PR. I didn't have an agent. So I think it's very important for those who don't have those those people sort of propping them up. They don't have the relationships with editors or journalists or or PRs. So especially for starting out, you have to have some sort of presence. So social media is a great way um, to utilize an audience so people know you. You can use it, obviously, to put your work on as a portfolio. It depends on where you want to go with your career. And I think, you know, top makeup artists, they're great. I call them like the sort of super influencers because they're the ones that have done the time. They're the ones that know products inside out. They're the ones that know how you could utilize brands or products for all different faces and problem solve for the real audience. But then you've got the influencers that everyday people relate to and love and follow because Mm -hmm. they just like them or they just want to listen to them speak all day or just look at their face all day. You know, Mm -hmm. you've got all those types. So they reach a really broad audience. I think it's really important because that's the way the world is going. And it's getting younger and younger. You know, we're just at that time where we are run by technology now. And if yeah. you look at like everything's on Zoom, there's all this Bitcoin stuff, there's Netflix, you know, everything is moving very quickly. And I think if you don't get on social media and if you don't do it, you get lost. And yeah. I think it's a shame if you've got a message or you've got skills or you've got talent to hide away from social media. There's a difference between ego and arrogance and basically just showing your talent, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it for me, 100 percent, you need it. And um, it's it's just an aspect now of our careers. You don't have You've got to, to put do- yourself out there. Yeah. I mean, I only talk about things on there like I really want people to see. And I use it as a way of showing people that it's, you know, we're not just makeup artists. You know, we do all different things. We have families. We have. We have a life. I try and encourage a balance and give people insight of who I am from a day-to-day basis because I think it's important because they follow my journey. And I don't need the millions of likes because I get loads of DMs. And for every message that I get from somebody around the world where they say, oh, you've saved my life because I was inspired by blah, blah, blah. You know, for me, that really like touches me. Or, you know, one day I'll think, oh, what am I doing this for? And then I'll get a message from somebody who said, like, you know, they've just come out of cancer and they've decided to do something for themselves based on what they've seen, what I've done. And they're they're changing the whole mindset and mm-hmm. living their lives and taking care of themselves and doing makeup or getting creative. You know, if I can inspire people like that on social media, then why not? And I think yeah. everyone has something to share and you attract your own tribe. And I think the only people that get scared of social media are maybe the ones that are just worried about what people think about them. You know, that is and, a hurdle to get over. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you're if you're an artist, you why be a closet artist? You know, why don't you just share what you why don't you expose yourself and show people what you can do? Because there's no point hiding your talent away because um, it just gets lost. If you think about all the artists before us that have passed away, if you think about like if social media was around, how appreciated would they be? 
they were loved in this moment in time. So that's why I love it when I see, you know, Alex Box or Mary Greenwell, Charlotte Tilbury, you know, Lisa, Eld, you know, all these top artists out there on a on a commercial level as well is because the normal person can appreciate them while they're still alive. I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to die anytime soon, but I think yeah. as artists, I think it's just nice to appreciate them in lifetime. I think yeah. social media does that. For sure. So it can be a good thing. It's definitely a good thing to do. And especially for, for the younger students, an opportunity to perhaps be seen and maybe even find work as an assistant through that, that platform. Yeah, definitely. I think you just have to be careful not to be um, copying and just following any trends. Just do yourself, you know, do what you're into because in the makeup world, they do see the talent, they can see through everything. So you know, you don't have to try too hard. Just stick to to what where you want to be and just work towards that. But don't ever um, don't ever compare yourself to somebody else. What would you look for in, a, in an assistant? What asset skills or personality? For me, it's about being kind, proactive. And I know it's hard to say, but it's like common sense. For me, an assistant that can almost predict what's needed on set is a very good asset. So somebody who thinks ahead puts themselves in my shoes because I'm a type of person I like somebody who's gonna uh, make my life easier and so if they're gonna come in make the tea have my stuff ready um, mm -hmm. put my things out understand that or you know go out of the way to do above and beyond not just about cleaning brushes and carrying my bags mm -hmm. if they can if they can spot things that maybe I'm running low of and and they would go off and go and get it for me I mean, that just shows mm. like you are really putting me at the forefront with a respect. Um, and I think you can't teach attitude. You know, I can teach skills all day long and I can teach makeup. But yeah. for an assistant, I think you can't teach if they're if they're um, willing or being proactive. That's really good advice. Anticipating yeah, the needs of the person yeah. you're assisting. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any other advice that you give to an aspiring makeup artist now? It's really tough because I hear a lot of, oh, I want to do what you do. I want to do fashion. I want to be a super influencer. I want to be famous. Mm -hmm. And they haven't considered the actual hard work to get there. And I think if there's anything, I would say, you know, really think about the journey um, of a lot of assistants, like of the artists that they want to see themselves to be. Um, if they want to work in TV or if they want to work in fashion or they want to be working in celebrity or even influencers, they have to look at the people at the top and see why they're successful. You know, what got them there? Really consider the research first and don't just get out there and say, well, I'm going to be this and that without actually having the substance behind it. So yeah. really prepare themselves. So if you're going to be a makeup artist, you really have to make sure that you're confident in knowing your skill set knowing your your values or what you're good at what you're not good at so if you know that there's something that you're not good at then train yourself find a way to explore and become better at it go and jump in on courses and um, if you're not good at for example like afro makeup or you're a bit nervous on doing different skin types then go and find a course to be able to elevate your skills I mean we're lucky now that there's so many courses out there that you can do that now, at that time when I was doing it, you know, I was pretty much experiment on real time, real people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a very big risk. Um, so get as much hands on experience that you can. And it doesn't have to be like direct experience with a makeup artist. You know, you could be in journalism, you could be in production, you could be on a TV set. As long as you're in the environment, 
um you'll you'll get there you know just don't go off like I've seen people just go and do maybe um an office job or something just to pay for them to do something if you're going to get an office job get an office job in a PR company something that's going to add value to your career and give you some assets when you move forward because makeup Mm. is a business as well and you'll find that later on in life you know as I'm finding now like wow um when you're in branding and you have to understand marketing you have to understand people Mm. you have to understand ingredients and all different things I was lucky to be able to do so many jobs like I did retail I did retail because I didn't know anything about retail and I wanted to understand what brands did and retail counters but I found the best brand which was um at the time was Becca you know and I learned so many skills being on a on a shop counter from dealing with what people wanted what customer needed from a sales point of view from trends from just understanding seasons you know as a lot of people think oh retail but I actually learned a hell of a lot. It's working on different faces, isn't it? There's, there's yeah. no better opportunity to practice and practice on lots of different faces. But, but it's not even that. It's like, it's cold, you know, like you've got customers coming in that maybe had a bad day, don't want to talk to you. But if you can convince that person to sit down, you know, that's your people skills. You know, if you can make someone feel amazing and they sit down and you do their makeup and they're like, oh, I'd buy everything because you just made me feel amazing. You know, that's a skill. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe sales, but for me, it's like artistry first. And you're you're working with all these difficult people that will then guide you when you're in a situation in a real, real big job. And the person's a difficult person. It could be a celebrity or something or anyone. You would have had the experience of dealing with those sort of customers' needs. So for me, that really helped, you know, being in the forefront and being on the job and active in that arena. I think that's such good advice, Dan. All of that is just exactly what what you need to do. And I think, you know, the idea of uh, finding someone whose career you'd love to have and then trying to work back and research what they actually did to get there is really really important. Like it's not going to happen overnight. You trace the steps. What did they do to get there? Definitely, I think working in retail is uh, some of the best training ground that you can have actually practicing and selling And all of those things that you talked about, so useful. Um, And as we draw to the end of the interview, uh, my final question is, what is next for you? And and what projects are you working on? I'm actually doing my own podcast, but it's more of a personal story about people that I've collaborated with that have made a very big difference in my life as well, because I want people to understand that different insights of different um, collaborators as a makeup artist, you know, we wear many hats. Our relationships with all those people are very important into our our job sectors. So it'll be with different hairdressers, journalists, photographers, um, stylists, celebrities. And yeah, that's what I want to share um, sometime this year. And then also I'm in a collaboration where I'm trying to bridge the sector of education when somebody comes out of school and into the retail retail and session world because I feel like obviously with the pandemic the retail market of having salespeople and makeup artists on site is quite tricky so I'm trying to create like a small job arena for those that have either come out of college or those in retail or those that are not quite at the end scale but need a place to be able to work Um, so I'm creating a space like a service them 
like a training ground, but right. also like a makeover well, service. How might that look? A makeover service. Yeah. For well, for the well, public. Yeah. For new makeup artists to be able to work with people that come off the street or in well, a physical not the space street. or in a digital space. Yeah, not in digital space, but in a in a physical space. So where we can't um it's like, you know, it's like the makeup side of a hair salon. So it's gonna be like almost like a one stop shop for um for people oh. to come and get everything done basically that the, sounds exciting where, where are you going to open that uh it's going to be done in mayfair <gasps> so i can't say who is with but it's yet we haven't launched it yet but Ooh, it's coming i can't wait i want to come <laughs> it's just to like i i see two elements here i see like an education factor of customers needs so they're not bombarded but they're educated while they're getting their makeover service done across different brands would it be or one brand? Uh, we're we're sort of deciding. I mean, I'll always have my Watch favorite brand. Space. So yeah, I think it's 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 definitely needed. So like a lovely, relaxing, personally shopping environment, you know, in the makeup yeah. sector, basically. So it's we'll just... look out for that on your Instagram page and and also for your podcast. Is that the best place to find out when when you're launching that? Yeah, it'll be sometime in the summer, hopefully. Um, I'm in the building stages right now for the space, so we are working hard on that exciting well look out for that thank you so much for for talking to me today and um, we've gone on a bit longer than normal but it was so fascinating talking to you and I know that anyone listening is going to get so much out of listening to this podcast so thank you're you Lan. thanks for having me thank you you're welcome thank you for listening to our careers insights podcast episodes are released bi-weekly onto Acast, Apple, Spotify and the British Beauty Council member zone you can also follow the British Beauty Council on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok and Clubhouse to stay updated with the latest news. Or if you'd like to contact us and find out more about becoming a member or patron, please email join me at britishbeautycouncil.com.